Svagat Hain, which is welcome in Hindi. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted Podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and the creator of Daddy Unscripted Podcast. I am trying to help you all give you a little bit of extra something with all of my episodes. So I start them and finish all of them in a different foreign language. And because maybe that seems weird to some of you, if this is your first or second time coming to the podcast, I just give a little extra to everyone with a greeting and a farewell in a foreign language. It's just my little bonus gift to you. And I'm super jazzed. Oh, I'm doing some stuff here already and you'll know about it later. But I'm doing some stuff in giving you little nuggets of foreshadowing to this episode with myself and Amar Sastri. I didn't even ask him if that's how I'm supposed to pronounce his last name, so I may have got it wrong. If I did, Amar, I apologize. But Amar is part of the Osiris Media family. He is all over Twitter, and I'm sure a lot of you know him, follow him, love him, are wowed by him, like I am, all of those things, 100%. And I will tell you, like, you can find Amar in a ton of different places, but some of the big ones are he does the video version of The Drop by Osiris, uh, which you can find on YouTube. You can also find his Anatomy of a Jam videos on YouTube. You should check out his website, amarguitar.com, and find him. I'll put stuff in the show notes. He throws out all his stuff at the end of the episode. But before we get too much deeper, I'm going to do a little bit of business here. Osiris. Hi, I'm Ben Sawyer, and I'm the co-host of the Road to Now podcast on the Osiris Podcast Network. Each week, my partner Bob Crawford and I speak with experts to discover how history has shaped the politics, culture, and economy of the world we inhabit. I'm a history professor and stand-up comic, and Bob is a founding member of the Avett Brothers with a deep knowledge of history and theology. Together, we work to bring history to the public in a way that is informative, accessible, and, we hope, entertaining. You can find the Road to Now podcast anywhere you get this Osiris podcast or on our website at www.theroadtonow.com. That's www.theroadtonow.com. We hope you'll join us on the road and that you thoroughly enjoy this episode of our fellow Osiris podcast. Osiris. So let me just tell you, I'm not sponsored by this in any way. I haven't talked to Brandon about this or anything but I want you guys to bookmark this as well and go check this out. This is for you guys, you men, you guys with beards, which sounds sexist. Some of you ladies may be growing. You know, I've seen uh, The Greatest Showman. I know it's out there, but <laughs> truly, any of you guys with beards, check out wolfmanwhiskers.com for amazing beard balm that balm balm kind of like caulk it's got an l in there that we don't say all the time caulk is not cock it's caulk and balm is balm not bomb so this way people don't think that you are saying something bad negative whatever scary you're using beard balm so go to wolfmanwhiskers.com they have a bunch of different scents. They make amazing beard care products. So again, 
I'm just throwing this out there. I have no affiliation with Wolfman Whiskers, but just letting you know, if you have a beard and you, like me, are trying to not put off your significant other by your facial hair that you really care about and want to have, and you want it to be softer, potentially, you maybe even want your skin to be nice underneath it, and you maybe want to have a nice little welcoming scent to it, wolfmanwhiskers.com. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, now we are ready to get into this episode where Amar and I talk about a ton of stuff. It's very funny because, again, I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit here. We were thinking we were going to have to do like a 45-minute show even, maybe even a little bit less because we kind of started late, my fault, and then he thought he was going to have to get on a different call with somebody, so I kind of stopped it. And told him this is a great segue spot. Let's come back to this whenever we can start recording the second half. And his call got canceled and we got to keep going. And so this was just a completely natural, amazing conversation with a guy that I really enjoy and really was so stoked to have this time to get to know him better and to be able to talk with him about fatherhood and life. And we just kind of jumped right in. And we started talking about him being a new dad and all of that. And then we kind of rewound back to his dad and we got into that whole life. And then we talked about his music and all of the stuff that he does. There's some life lessons in here. We even laid out some great knowledge tidbits, some nuggets of knowledge, you might say. We might have created some catchphrases here. One great little thing that his dad gave him not so many years ago. There's just really good stuff in this episode. So it may look a little bit longer time-wise than some of the other episodes, but I am telling you, just take the time to chew through this one because there's excellent stuff in here. And Amar, I cannot, A, I cannot thank you enough for the time and thank him enough for the time and his family giving that time to us to be able to have this conversation. But B, great guy. You're going to love this episode. You're going to love his take on life and his very unique perspective because of his very unique life path. So without any more of my shalapal that I'm doing at the beginning of this, which I don't know if that's a word, but I made it up and I accept the TM at the end of it as we go into the episode with myself and Amar. I like to think I've got a couple of years left in me. I was talking with my friend and he said, I think we're like at our halfway point. I feel confident saying that. And I said, if I make it to 94, that will be amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you will, you know, especially with technology and and health advancing ridiculously (laughs) fast. You know, it's going to happen. Yeah. I might need to go like gluten free or something (laughs) free or something like that to make it work. But I don't know. I love gluten. Yeah, I you know I did gluten free for about a year, and it, it did wonders for me. I had really bad allergies, and I, it it kind of it really like fixed a lot of those problems. But I missed beer and bread too much. I love <sighs> beer. I love bread. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Bread, I couldn't do. My brother does gluten free, and he's a big bread person too. And he found like one brand that he kind of will admit that it's okay, it's passable. But beer, like there's. 
they're starting to make more gluten-free beers and I I guess they're okay. And then you could go on the what White Claw and Truly are those gluten-free? Sure. Uh, I think they I think they are. Yeah. If you wanted to jump on the seltzer bandwagon. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, and w- I'm a big fan of wine. So when I when I when I oh, yeah. gluten, I, I drank a lot of wine and that was that was good. But yeah, you know, I just miss even gluten free bread. Never never did it for me. Just like you know, you said it, it's you can find a passable bread. Yeah, not it. It's it's never totally even like a a piece of stale quote unquote real bread. I think is better than like the fresh <laughs> gluten free bread. Maybe I'm I being gluten free. I, I don't know. No, that's uh, I think that's totally right. Like my wife will try to do gluten free pasta for the kids, and I always raise my nose to that. This is one restaurant by me that does the best gluten free pasta I've ever had in my life. Oh, and really? Even though I'm not gluten free, I still get it gluten free when I'm there. Oh, wow! It's that good, and I don't know what they what they do. It's out of control. That says something because gluten free pasta can absolutely suck. Oh yeah, it's it's like little, it's like cardboard Ugh. confetti. Yeah. yeah. Even cleaning it, like cleaning the dishes from the gluten-free pasta makes me oh, yeah, I'll forget feel it. weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As it should. You're, you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're in it already, but I will say for all of you that are here now, I am here with Amar, just Amar, um, who is not just Amar. That's the thing. Amar is does so many different things with anatomy of a jam with Osiris now as um, the host of the video version of The Drop. Amongst, you're doing other things with Osiris, yeah? Yes, we're uh, working on a podcast about music technology in partnership with the company Splice, which is super exciting. I love that program. It's for, it's a basically, um, it's a platform for create, for music creators to get samples and loops and to share their, and share their content. It's, um, we're working on a podcast with them and it's coming along really well, so I'm super excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Anyhow, welcome, Amar, to Daddy Unscripted. Thank you so much for being a part of this show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I I was really excited when I saw that you were just recently had become a dad, and I think that was in your uh, interview on Fish.net and talking about all of the new juggling that you were doing in your life. So how old you have a little girl yes that's correct a little and, girl she's about a year she just turned a year old a couple months ago she's about 14 months now oh wow yeah you can tell she's young because you're still doing the month thing <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the math starts getting harder and harder and like you know people I, there is definitely the cutoff time and i used to love people who were going beyond the three-year mark in months and i'm like if you're saying something over 40 months, that's you've gone too far. Oh, way too far. That's yeah, that's <laughs> it's absurd math. I mean, I can barely add my grocery bill and I pull up my iPhone when it's time to calculate the tip. I mean, yeah, I, it's 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 not happening after I think after two years is probably when I when I cut off the month thing. Yeah, that's probably good. Anybody who says like if your baby is two and a half years old and you're saying 30 months instead of two and a half, like just I, I, yeah, I think at that point you're just trying to say you, you're really good at math. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. Signaling you're like, hey, which is fine. Hey, you know, like that's, if I if I could do it, I would. But yeah, she's 64 months old. <laughs> yeah, solid brag. Let me work out the math. And by that time, the kid is already telling you, "I'm 10," right, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> I did horrible math on that, but uh, whatever. 
So yeah, you are in the early stages and we'll go in the past in a little bit, but how is all of new daddy dumb going for you? It's, I mean, I'm super, super lucky that it's been amazing for me so far. I mean, my, my wife does most of the hard work as I guess a lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. wives do. Um, but it's, big ups to the wives, right? You know, and it's, moms. It's, yeah. It's, um, I, I absolutely could not feel sane without her, but she's just an amazing mom and an amazing person. And I, I'm so, I feel lucky that my daughter gets to have her as a role model. Cause she's probably, my wife's one of the strongest people I've ever met. And she's a huge inspiration to me. But the funny part about being a dad is every day it feels like it's completely different. Like every, you know, it's like one day she's, she can't even crawl the next day. She's like flying across the carpet running. You know what I mean? It's like, it's every day. It's just change after change. And she always blows my mind. Like one day, like she could barely, she was just mumbling in the next word. And the next day it was dada, dada, you know, those were her first words. And just to it, every day my mind is blown by something she does. Um, Yeah. Which I, it it sounds almost corny, uh, but I, it's, it's, it seems pretty um, like most dads can, or parents in general can relate to that. Right. I think all of, especially when us dads are talking about it, it sounds even cheesier because it's like men talking about babies, which I guess just seems weird. Like, just like you said, when you're a dad, you just get it. Like there is something completely different about that world. And it sounds wrong to any of you who are not, not dads. So I'm not trying to like say that we're better or whatever, but uh, there is definitely a very big difference in everything. Like your outlook on the world is different i swear oh, completely completely it's like i feel like there was a a, a me before being a dad and, and me after mm-hmm. um and which is weird because at the same time i still feel like i feel like an 18 year old kid trapped in like a 30 year old plus <laughs> you know what i mean like it, yeah yeah i feel like a child myself um um mentally not not you know um but it's it's and that's another thing like my wife and i will, will look at each other and be like can you believe we have a kid now like what yeah who the hell let this happen you know um, <laughs> yeah they let us leave the hospital i know right what were they thinking yeah. i swore to myself that maybe i didn't swear but i was like i'm never gonna be one of those dads that like all these little moments that affect me so deeply now like when I, i'll walk in the door and she'll run towards me and say dada and like wrap her arms around me like and i, I just totally melt i just never thought mm-hmm. that, i never thought that would have such a deep impact on me like the little day-to-day moments but i look forward to those moments kind of more than anything um and i know a lot of people that travel for work uh, very frequently um, a, a lot of musicians especially that are on the road a lot i can't imagine how heartbreaking it must be to always be on the road and you know, to, especially when you have young kids to not see them that much. I know that's a reality for a lot of people. And it's, it's you know, when I'm away for her, from her for like a week or two, it's like horrible. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, Skype conversation technology is great that I get to see her, but it's, I feel way more attached to her than I thought I would be. I don't know if that sounds like a bad dad thing to say. Um, no. Maybe it's I'm an, you know, I'm an only child, so I never really had a that camaraderie with maybe like a younger, a younger being in my life. But mm-hmm. especially since she's, so helpless and like that you know it's all all the dad instincts man the dad instincts that's what really trips me up it's like i have no reflexes like i am i'm like a sloth but when she like almost (laughs) falls over and like i'll like scoop and pick her up before she hits the floor my wife's like how did you do that you can you'll trip on your own feet like walking around the kitchen like how do you you know and it's it's just it just changes you man it's so it's so crazy the weirdest part is also how how babies are, are 
they live between kind of two extremes. And on Fourth of July, um, we went to a fireworks show and we we put the little you know baby headphones on, so it blocked yeah. all the loud sound. And it, you know, I put the headphones on, and you could it, it you knows it was definitely protective, but you could still clearly hear the loud booms. Yeah, and she fell asleep. Like, how do you fall asleep? Amazing in this loud noise when a creak from like two rooms away will wake you up in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. You know, and it's like she always surprises me every day. Every day is a new and and. The one thing parents always say is that being surprised is something that you you it, it's going to happen to you pretty much every day for the rest of your life as a parent. Yeah, They're always going to surprise you. And it's cool. Like there are two sides to that, and that things move so fast and they're always changing. And that's something I always find myself. I try not to give a lot of advice to parents because my number one thing of advice that I always say to people is do what works for you and don't listen to everybody else and don't get too like engulfed by the books and the rules quote unquote of what you're supposed to do because you know you can be that parent that says I'm never going to uh rock my baby to sleep or whatever I'm going to put them in their crib and they are going to fall asleep and if it takes 10 hours of screaming every night, then so be it because they need to learn that on their own. But if you are about to murder every single person that crosses your path on a daily basis because you are not sleeping and you are like afraid of what you might do to your child because they are not sleeping, like that's when you break it down a little bit and do what works for you and your baby. You know, that's, that's smart, man. You know, it's um, it's good to have an open mind. Uh, it's also good to listen to, you know, your yourself, your your intuition. I think uh, we've may, may, maybe this is kind of uh, self reflecting here, but I feel like a lot of times we put our intuition aside and we're like, oh well, this just like you said, like oh, this book said this, this expert mm-hmm. said this, and we'll kind of muffle our own um, internal voice in in uh, in favor of someone else's that we may value more, but. Um, I agree with you all the way. It's, you know, dealing with absolutes um, a lot of times when it comes to I'm going to do this or I'm never going to do this is not always the best course of action. And I yeah. I love getting parenting advice. I love at least I'm, I'm opening. I'm open to parenting advice because I'm right. so ignorant about it. So I love, you know, but the one thing that just like you said, anytime a parent gives me advice, they pretty much always say the same thing that you just said to me. They're like, it's not a black and white case, but here's what I do. You yeah. Know? And that's how that's an experienced parent coming at you. Uh, totally that so i appreciate that yeah hearing the different things that uh people have tried that worked is great like you now have different options that you can pick and choose from but like these are individual little humans that are not those people's little humans and they are not in their environment and they have different parents like everything is different with every household so thinking that what worked for the Joneses is going to is going to work for you or absolutely should work for you and your child is just kind of silliness, I think. So I think it's spot on. I think it's um getting to the core of what you said. It's about, you know, listening and observing to what works and what doesn't work. Um, whereas if you're always doing this or always doing that, you're not kind of getting any feedback from your kid. I think that's a lot of times a recipe for for disaster. Yeah. And what one of the things I was going to say is like the good thing about things coming and going really quickly sometimes is remembering that when it's the bad times, this is going to pass. 
this teething episode or whatever it may be is not going to last forever. And it may seem like it and it may feel like it. And it may be, you know, this one is a week as compared to the last one. That's two days, but like you're going to, you and your child are going to make it through that. So sometimes you just got to ride the wave and I don't know, hold on for a dear life. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I couldn't have said it better. Cause you know, it's, all of these little micro sections of their lives that, that happens at, at this age coming from where I am, and it feels like it's lasting forever. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, it felt like the time from when she couldn't talk to when she started saying her first words felt like an eternity. You know, when she was crawling and not walking, it felt like forever, but it, mm-hmm. it was probably like a month or two at the most. And it's just time just has a really weird way of expanding and contracting in a way I've never felt before, before I became a parent. Uh, it's got such a weird, a time just totally it has like a different meaning to me. I think on on Mark Maron's podcast, I can't remember which episode of, of WTF, but he mentioned that you know he was saying Mark uh, he doesn't have any kids, so he's like I don't see time passing the same way a lot of my friends who have mm-hmm. kids. You know they see you know like you know the the baby teeth and the braces and the junior prom. They like see their life in a completely different way than he was saying that he does. And he wasn't saying it's better or worse, but he was saying how different his view of time is than than uh, his parent friends. Yeah, that's true. It totally like the measurement is right there staring you in the face from a very low place on the ground and then from a place that's closer to your knees. And then eventually they're like taller than mom and talking back to you and whatever. Like it's it's absolutely like the judge is right not the judge but the judgment of time is right there for you well said that's exactly right i can yeah she she went from being a tiny peanut that could hold my hand and now she's you know biting my knees when i'm wearing shorts so (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i totally agree with that yeah you savor those times before they're like standing walking um grabbing everything and they're all like different phases of life and you roll with it. And that's what really messes me up is because when I when I was telling people that I was like, oh, you know, my wife's pregnant, we're gonna, they, were, they were so excited. And people would always say this one phrase, you know, especially after the babe, after she was born, they'd always say, enjoy it. And I remember the time I was thinking, like, again, me with zero experience with yeah, kids, yeah. Than, like, you know, my nieces and nephews here and there. But, you know, I was like, what's there to enjoy about a baby? Like, what? Like, I, I never, like, I never said this out loud, but I was thinking, I was like, I mean, I get what they're saying kind of. But then after about maybe like, a week into newbornness, I remember like holding her and she was like looking around and she fell asleep in my arms and like my entire body felt like covered with this incredible, like it was like my soul was covered in a blanket. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what they were talking about. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like that, that incredible feeling that I don't think any, I've never gotten that feeling from anything on the planet, but you know, just holding, holding your child as, you know, as they fall asleep in your arms, for example, it, and I was like, oh, this is this is why people have kid after kid after kid. Yeah, this is why there's parents with eight children in a van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not telling you to do, Amar. Hey, you're not the boss of me, Tim. If I want to have <laughs> That's eight That's kids, true. and I'm just kidding. Um, I do actually have a friend who has nine children. And believe it or not, he is a very well-adjusted person. So wow. much of the fact that when people... when I'd known him for like a year before I had, uh, he's a musician, he's a drummer, killer, killer player. Um, and I had no idea, like he's so normal, I don't want to say normal, but he's so like, I figured that someone with nine kids would be, you know, exhausted and irritable. Yeah. At least I would be. Um, but he's not 
and his, uh. like, his kids are well adjusted. His, his wife is, is very well, you know, like, I feel like he's got to be an exception to the rule. I also don't know many people with close to a dozen kids. So maybe I'm projecting, but yeah. And you said you were, you're an only child. What about your wife? She's got sisters. Um, and we, we talk about this all the time about whether we want to have more kids, whether, you mm-hmm. know, whether or not. And, and, uh, it was, it was a little bit hard for me growing up being an only child. Cause I always felt, um, cause my parents were working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week that I, I didn't get to see them a lot when I was a kid compared to a lot of other, other kids. But, you know, I, I was told her, I was like, I don't want my kid to be, I don't want our daughter to be an only child because, you know, I, I don't want her to go through that same thing. And now I've kind of backtracked because my wife and I spend so much time with her. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, now I'm thinking that, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I was wrong about what I said. Maybe it's more mm-hmm. about the, you know, kind of feeling the attention and stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's things change. So I'm, I haven't really, no, no decisions are made till they're made, you know. Mark it down. Yeah. And and you guys are still young. So it's not like you're 45 and having to like, okay, we got to do this now or never. Like you've sure. got time. Do you know what's terrible about if you have a kid over 40? And, and this is, I, I don't know if this is like a regional thing, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're having a pregnancy in the medical world, and one of my friends, uh, he just recently had, they recently had a, their first son, their second child. And my friend's wife is is over forty, and that's how I know that's how I know about this. If you're over forty and you have a and you have a child, they call it a geriatric pregnancy. Oh boy, isn't that isn't <laughs> that's that like harsh? The, isn't that the harshest thing? I was like, yeah. I mean, again, this is it's completely medical terminology. It's not meant to be a judgment, but I can't, you know, like it's 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 as if women don't have it harder. You're just gonna, you know, just, right? Hey, hey, throw that in there. Yeah. Um, Oh but gosh! I just I don't know why that that make, makes me irrationally like when he told me that I got like viscerally angry <laughs> for no reason. Not like you know it's like on her behalf. Yeah, on her behalf, and she wasn't even that anxious. Like, oh, it's fine. I was like, no, Kristen, don't you understand? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to fight this. We've got to fight this. So yeah, let's go to city hall. Well, and they used to have like back when. Gosh, I don't remember how old I was, but quite a while ago, they had this big thing about kids having kids. That was like a a term because there were so many teenage pregnancies. I mean, this was definitely over a decade ago. And so, you know, uh, I I guess we should just wait for them to start a special on like calling it seniors having kids or something and (laughs) really drilling it down for people over 40. Sure. Of course, that would be the natural course of things. Which is so funny because now like, you know, I, I get it. I've heard all the stats and how where the at-risk um, situation is over a certain age and whatever. But like nowadays, that is so normal. And it's not like the, uh, I was going to say, it's not like the 60s where, or even earlier, but I was born to my mom when, oh gosh, I've, I've for no good reason, I've never done the math on this, but she was just shy of 41 when she had me so and that was you know in the 70s so i can't imagine like what kind of eyebrow raising she got from people oh sure yeah times have surely changed since then that now if you have a child when you're over 40 people don't even really blink Um, no so and and for good reason i think i think there's no you know there's there's definitely and 
I don't know what the age cutoff is, but I know as you get to a certain age, you get, you know, your, your child has increased complications of, of possible possibilities of complications, et cetera. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, medical technology, especially fertility technology now, from what I understand is, has gotten so good to the point that I know many people, again, this is an, anecdotal evidence, but I know a lot of people over 40 that have children and they're, they're fine. Their kids are fine. And, um, hey, look at you, Tim. You're doing you're doing a okay. I mean, yeah. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing to worry about here. It's funny because I, you know, when I was in junior high and high school, and my dad would come to like sporting events and stuff. Before people got to know who he was, I remember clearly multiple occasions where people would say, "Oh, your grandpa came to watch you play this game today. That's so cool." About my dad because he was so much older. And now I think to me, like I'm coaching my, I'm one of the coaches on my son's baseball team. And when I see a, a younger dad, that's more out of the norm to me. That's more surprising, like seeing any of these kids with like a dad in their young 30s or even younger than that. You know, it's just, it's so kind of casual now for older people to have kids so you go geriatrics <laughs> i think is the the thing we're trying to really get across here to people that are my age <laughs> you know it, you do you man you know yeah everyone listening man everyone's on their own path and i, I think i think tim tim's hitting the nail on the head here you know it's it's that stigma you know needed to be removed and i, I think it's feels like it's more typical for people to have kids in their 30s now than ever before, mm-hmm. uh, 30s and 40s and later, and now it's gotten to the point that um, you know anyone I know in their 20s with a kid, it's it's uh they feel like it's a rarity now. It, it right. feels like it's happening less and less. And I know there's a lot of societal reasons for that, um, but you know I, I know I definitely was not ready in my 20s to have a kid. Uh, so oh god, right? That's what everyone says, right? You know? Yeah. Can you imagine? I I mean I don't I say that without knowing you, but about myself, like I've I think that same thing, like I cannot imagine trying to responsibly and properly parent a child in my anything younger than like 27, for sure. Right, right. And and it's a pretty recent change, right, from, from what I understand that for almost all of our civilization, people were having children in their teens and 20s. Yeah. For, for like millennia, right? Like that's yeah. the way it's always been. But the thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like people would have kids and they'd basically try to like scrape and like, you know, get their stuff together on the way up. But now it feels like we want to have everything. We want to have our, our shit together before we have a kid. At least that's how, you know, that's how I felt. How yeah. a lot of my friends feel. It's like I want to, you know, get get everything kind of locked down and, and not have to, you know, worry about where, about keeping the lights on uh, when when that baby comes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. Like, I, I think for a lot of them, it's not just the, I want to sow my wild oats or I want to get my traveling out or whatever it may be before I have my kid. I, I, I have to get my yayas out. It's, it is a lot of um, looking at it in a way of responsibility. And to some, you know, we're obviously talking in a lot of generalizations here, but I think to some people like, I can't remember who I was talking with recently, one of my recent guests um, about this, but they kind of felt like potentially they were being a little overly cautious, you know, not doing it as early as they possibly could have, but they really wanted to make sure they had that 
nest egg ready or whatever you would say for um, them to bring a child responsibly into their family so that they didn't feel like they did have to do that scraping. Sure. That's that, to me, that seems incredibly responsible. You know, it feels like looking at foresight and, and there's so many reasons to have a kid. Uh, and, and it almost, I feel like a lot of parents say that you never really even feel ready, even when it happens, um, which I, I totally agree with. Uh, I just, I think with every passing year, you probably feel, again, speaking generally, you probably feel more ready than you were the year before. Yeah. So on that point, um, and talking about what people used to potentially do in the past, I think that that makes for our time to potentially segue into kind of your history and going back into your dad, your parents, and potentially even further than that. So why don't you take us down that road of leading up to Amar today? Sure. Yeah. I um. Yeah. I was born in India in in the in the eighties, and my folks are or my mom and dad are both Indian, so we're like we joke that we're like millionth generation Indian. You know how people say, "Oh, I'm like mm. third generation." I, we don't know because it we've never. That was the first time anyone in our family tree that we know of has left the motherland. Mm. Uh, so I left um I left India when I was pretty young, probably about five six. I still have memories and and stuff from there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you. So go back into your dad and when was he born and his life a little bit there in India if you yeah to what you can he, speak on that. Sure. Yeah. He was um he was born in the fifties and he I mean he grew up in rural ass India. I mean mm. so rural it makes Iowa look like Brooklyn. You know, like it's oh, really gosh. and I've been I've been there and it's it's really pretty pretty desolate. And and the tough part is I never really got to know my grandparents my both my dad and my mom are amongst the youngest they each have on their side they each have like seven brothers and sisters hmm. so i've got like 14 like blood uncles and aunts and you know they're all married so i've got like i've got more cousins than i have hairs on my head you know so yeah it's a very very big family <laughs> um but you know my my dad he he spent most of his pretty much all of his life in india never really traveled never did anything like that he was always kind of a working stiff and, and one one thing that both on my mom's side my dad's side they both of my grandparents and all, all four of my grandparents they really stressed that that education was was kind of the ticket out that education was you know that's what you know brought civilization brought us out of the jungles and into you know heated homes you know like education is is the way forward so they really stressed that which i thought was a really I thought that was the norm in India until I went there and realized that it wasn't, that that was mm -hmm. pretty, and they were pretty ahead of their time to be like, you know, formal education is your ticket out of this place. Not that it was, you know, a bad place, but, you know, they wanted their, their, you know, their kids to do better than them and not to not have to struggle. Um, so my, my dad really uh, took that to heart and he uh, is probably the hardest working person I know kind of, he's always, you know, and it wasn't working to necessarily to work, but it was working in service of your family, you know, working to always be better and provide what, you know, he wanted to provide me what he never had himself. Mm -hmm. um, and I know when he was, he was very young, his parents sent him away to, to boarding school and it wasn't, you know, cause he, he misbehaved or anything. He's, he's a pretty mild, <laughs> mild mannered person, <laughs> um, but it was more like the, you know, the schools around here from what I, no story schools around here are, are, are kind of trash we're going to send you to where you can really excel because he's a really really smart guy always kind of outperforming anyone around him in school so that was 
Um, I know that was really hard for him, kind of growing up away from his parents, not really seeing them ever. Um, and I know that was hard for my grandparents, but it ended up being really good because he, uh, you know, worked his way that he could get out of India and come to come to America. Um, and I didn't realize this, but I, 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 I maybe I still don't really realize how hard it was to get a visa to get out of India and to come to America, even in the early '90s when we when we moved here. Um, mm. Apparently, like it's 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 not something they just hand out. I'm very very ignorant about about that. Um, but you know, it, it's it's something that you have to work really hard towards um, in terms of getting a sponsor and all that kind of stuff. And I know they made a lot of sacrifices to to, to kind of do that. And my dad is not a musician. He he's kind of the he jokes that like when I when I was like learning how to play guitar and I was like, hey dad, come check out this cool riff. And mm-hmm. he had this one line that he always he still says to this day when I, when we talk music, he's like, he's like, it's like you're he's like, it's like you're playing Mozart to a water buffalo. That's what that's what he <laughs> like anytime, like no matter what it was. And we, we still joke about that. He still says that today. But he really instilled in me a very, very deep love for music. And when he was saying that when he was growing up, he was listening to he was listening to stuff like Zeppelin and and he was, he was trying to, and this is something that I, 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 it's so hard for me to realize in context because I grew up, you know, like it's, it's such a normal sound to hear, you know, Jimmy Page and John, it's such a normal, but he was trying, he always tried to instill in me like how groundbreaking that was and how that, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff sounded nothing like that at the time and how like every band that came after the other in, in that era was just like turned the world on its head. Um, and he always, despite not being, uh, you know, a musician or in his words, having any kind of, you know, knowledge about it, he really understood it from like that soul level that, you know, mm-hmm. that really, you know, to, to what it means to really love music. And he, he's glad that I play music. Cause he's like, I never, he's like, not only did I not want to play music, I had no interest in it. And I was the complete opposite. So that, that was a big thing for him. Um, because he, he was always to him. Music is, he calls it like a sacred art. You know, it's God singing to us, uh, through these various little forms that we call musicians, mm. right? That's what, that's how he always looks at music. Um, and my 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 whole kind of speaking of that my whole family tree is also very very religious. Um, I'm Hindu, and the, the whole the whole family tree is, is Hindu. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was a, a big part of them too. Is, is kind of having what they call a healthy fear of God, you know. And that, that again, something that, that's very hard for me to relate to. But that was another big part of them trying to. By them, I mean you know grandparents, parents, and all that, trying to be as good as uh, try, trying to work as hard as possible. Is that you know you, despite being the religion that believes in, in reincarnation, you gotta you know you got you really only have one shot in, in at least in, in this in this cycle uh, in this life form. So you really have to make the most out of every every chance you get, mm-hmm. um, and and you know experiment, try you know try doing stuff that you may you may think you're not good at it. You know just give give it a shot, and you know anytime I one of the best lessons I learned from my dad is I remember like trying to do my homework and, and I was like, Oh dad, can you help me with this math problem? And he'd be like, Oh, all this new math bullshit. I don't understand. Okay. I'll give it a shot. And he'd try to help me and I'd get something right and be like, this is easy. That's what I would say. And then I'd try something. I was like, I don't get this. This is hard. And he, and he would always instill in me that, you know, he's like, there's no real thing as easy as or hard. You know, you got mm-hmm. the first problem because you knew the process of how to arrive at the answer. That's why it seemed easy. The second problem, you didn't quite understand how to get to the solution, so you thought it was hard. In fact, you just do this and this, and you can see that the second problem is easy as well. You just have to know how to break it down into smaller pieces. Mm. Um, and he, he's very academically minded, so that was, and, and I'm not, so that was a, a very big uh, a help to me that he, you know, he 
trying to teach me how to think in terms of that, in terms of that way, in terms, in terms of like looking at a problem and saying, you know, try to break down a problem into smaller pieces. Uh, and I'm talking real simple, like third grade shit here too. You know, like I'm not, <laughs> it's not like I, I was, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing not like trigonometry. Cal- yeah. Not trigonometry, no calculus. This is like, <laughs> I, this is like, I was in like eighth grade and I was like, dad, how do you, what is this X mean? He's like, oh, it's multiple. You tell me, no, he, he, he didn't say that, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, that, that, was, that was a really big impact on me that he, you know, he was saying that because he was so academically minded and gifted, he was always saying that you can really learn how to do anything you want if you just can get over your kind of initial fear of 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 the unknown. I think that was mm. that was a big had a big impact on me. Yeah, that's I can see that being on a much different and higher level, like fitting perfectly into kind of your whole anatomy of a jam thing. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's um. And that was that was another a, a big one of the most important things I think anyone has ever said to me was something that he said to me and he said it to my my dad said to me out of the blue and it was around the time that I started making all those videos and stuff that was uh, believe it or not a big inspiration and I remember we were sitting like watching a movie and um, my dad and I we are the king of comfortable silences like we can like <laughs> we can sit next to each other and literally not like talk for an hour and it's not it's not awkward it's not like oh what am I gonna say like it's completely it's the most natural thing mm-hmm. and we'll just like turn to each other and say something or you know here and there and, and have a conversation but it's it's very natural and we were having one of those moments I think we were watching um I think we, we love trying to turn each on each other on into new music and then we all we get angry when the other person doesn't like it but uh-huh. I played him <laughs> which is I think it's a pretty common thing but I played him I think it was it was Jeff Tweedy solo he loves Bob Dylan so I was like oh, I think maybe he'll like Jeff Tweedy so I remember playing mm-hmm. Jeff Tweedy and he was and he, and he kind of liked it and we were listening and uh we were just sitting there and then he turns to me and he said it took me a long time to realize that most of the fears I had were completely in my head and he just, like, mm. we went back to listening and like, it just, that moment just kind of sat with me. And I still, I remember like exactly where we were sitting. I remember like exactly what shirt I was wearing. Like it was one of, it was one of those moments that I, I complete like, wow, clarity, complete clarity. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was totally, because I think you know, he's always been like a very cautious person um, and not one to take risks in, in a lot of ways, other than for example, like moving to this country. But that was, you know, I was just going to say. Right. But the, the, uh, I guess maybe the difference of that is that that was, you know, years in the making, right? You know, right, like a right. lot of planning, a lot Very of calculated. You know, r- exactly right. Yeah. He wasn't, yeah. he's not a, a capricious person in terms of like, oh, let's do this. Let's try this. You know, he's mm-hmm. very kind of slow and methodical. But I think that, you know, which, something that I always viewed as a strength, but he was almost saying is that I would have probably tried a lot of other things, you know, and uh, maybe been happier in certain aspects if I had been less fearful. And now looking back on my life, I realized that a lot of those, a lot of that fear was completely just in my head and I was imposing it on myself. And that, that's what, mm-hmm. at least what he said when he said that, that's what it meant to me. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's really, and the way he said it, there was almost like, he didn't clarify. I remember asking, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, ah, no, I forget it. And I was like, all right, that's fine. Uh, but I remember like there was like that tinge of regret in his voice. Like it was tiny, it wasn't like sad or sorrowful, but it was just kind of there. And again, mm-hmm. maybe I'm reading into it, but it 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 was one of those phrases, just like you said, clarity, right? Like it it had so much weight to it that I, the emotional tone of that, like I could kind of, I almost knew exactly what he was talking about, and I was like, and to me that was like that was like a Tony Robbins seminar in like three <laughs> seconds, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, that's so, yeah. You know? It's like how many times have I been, you know, held back from what I from doing wanting to do something and realizing that it's just fear that I'm probably imposing on myself and I'm just making it up in my head. It's crazy to think 
like I, I work with a few people who I work on that with them because I can see how much their fear holds them back and how much of that, yes, absolutely is in their own mind. And for whatever reason, like, you know, the seeds of that can come from um, family, can come from um, experiences they've seen others go through, can come from culture, whatever it may be. But I know I've had my conversations with them. And it's crazy to think about how many people are on this planet in your community in a state or in a country that is built on a culture like that, that just don't try and just don't do things. And and in some ways, like I think there are probably a lot of those people that you could go up to and ask them, what are some, what are some things that you wish you had done or, or wish you could do or whatever. And if you said like, what are the consequences if you tried that? And to a lot of them, you may just get a shrug like, Oh, that's a great question. I have like, I don't know there, there may not even be any consequences and yeah, like inner fears and whatever that may be. Like there could be so many amazing things going on, uh, even just between people and in relationships that get held back by fear. So that's huge that he said that. A hundred percent. And I I think there's, uh, I studied evolutionary biology for, for a long time in college. And I think that all of that fear, I think it's a real thing that's been hard coded in our DNA um, mm-hmm. And just like you said, it's in our culture, it's in religion, it's in society, it's on, it's even right now it's on social media. Like it's, it's there, it's there, it's everywhere. Um, and it almost feels like it's, it feels like it's getting worse in the sense of, you know, maybe tearing people down when they step out of line or what you think is the line. Um, yeah. it, it all comes from, you know, millennia ago, we, we were all raised in small tribes, 20, 30 people. And if you said something that the tribe found questionable and you were cast out of the tribe, that was your survival. So over generations, we've been kind of bred to to fall in line with the tribe, right? If someone over there is eating those berries and they're fine, and someone over there is eating different berries and they're you know turning blue and bleeding, you might you might say that, hey, I'm probably not going to eat those berries, but this guy's got the right idea, right? The more we fall in line, the stronger our survival. But now it's come to a point where a lot of those instincts are not serving us. Like I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't step out of line. I think it's, it's kind of like this vestigial sense in us from, from our hunter gatherer days that doesn't really help anymore. But and mm-hmm. that's my, that's just my theory. Um, Cause that kind of that pang of, of, of fear when you want to, when you want to do something um, you're like, Oh, I don't know what will people think? You know, it's kind of a weird, it's, it's a weird feeling to, to, care about what people might think mm-hmm. when in fact most people aren't even going to look at it or give a shit at all right you know what i mean like it's 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 like it's such an extreme like the the scenario in our head's not even close to what the reality is going to be and most people if they you know even look at what you've done chances are you'll get a pat on the back rather than what the hell were you mm-hmm. doing? yeah and how many times like have you or I or anybody listening out there done that thing where you're kind of almost role playing a scenario in your head and you're like, I got to say this to this person or I got to have this conversation and I'm sure this is what they're going to do and this is what they're going to say or whatever. And then you finally break down and do it and it just does not 
come out any of the ways that you said. I think that's like a daily occurrence to me. Like what you just totally. said, that happens yeah. to me like every day, and it's never like I still haven't learned. Like I'm, I'm so <laughs> thick headed. I'm like it, it's. I'm like I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say mm. this, and I'm going to fight, and it's not even close to that. Yeah, that's I, you. I think you nailed it. It's such a such a common experience, and we <laughs> a lot of us never learn. At least I don't. Well, yeah, and and that's you know it's the fight against our nature as humans, and as well as like the way that we kind of stop doing that is by putting it into practice continually and making something a new behavior and a new norm as opposed to like, okay, this is what I'm used to doing. I'm used to thinking about this and doing this or whatever, as opposed to I'm going to take this leap and then we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's that's spot on. I've heard a lot of different kind of catchphrases for that, like, you know, change your paradigm, alter your frame, raise your baseline, right? And all means the same thing that, uh, you know, if you get accustomed to those new behaviors, you it can be a very, very powerful, positive thing for you. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of it, too, is like slowing down. And I don't think there's anything wrong with slowing them, some of those scenarios down to a pace where you are able to at least like say to yourself, this is what I'm going to do. And it doesn't mean like that taking that forethought and thinking through the situation is a bad thing. It's just that you're thinking through what you're going to do and your control points, which is never the other person. So like whenever there's another human involved, how that's going to go, like God knows. Right. Yeah. It's, it it could be anyone's guess. Yeah. So, okay. So we've now solved the world's problems. Um, (laughs) and, uh, let's go back. So you are born in the eighties and living in India, um, which I've been to, but I've only been to Bangalore so doesn't sound anything like where your dad was well, or where you were. That's believe it or not, my I spent years in Bangalore as a kid because when my no when way. dad grew up and he was living in the country, he moved all over, worked to different places, and then Bangalore was just kind of like the way it is now in terms of being like this bustling hub of commerce. Mm-hmm. So we we lived there, and I have I still have a lot of family in Bangalore, and every uh. time I go to India, I go back there. So that's great to hear that you've been there. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I used to have a job that um, we had production centers in the Philippines and India, and so I had to travel over there and talk with them every day and everything. I loved my friends in Bangalore. Oh, nice. uh, that's awesome. Hello, Srinivasan, if you're listening. <laughs> that's a very Bangalorean name. I know like yes. three Srinivasans. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I know, and I've heard those people who are like, you know, once the what was the code name for it it was during an election that whole thing became a big political mess in maybe maybe 12 i don't think it was yep, part of no, 16 I, I think that's that sounds about right to me yeah i remember that and uh even like when the company i was working with that was doing it like we we lost a lot of customers because they were like you know you can't take jobs away from america or you mm. can't I remember that whole period, and one thing that really stands out to me is that there was this TV show called Outsourced, 
Mm-hmm. And I yes. don't watch much. You remember that? And I don't yep. watch much TV, but I remember watching that show because it's it was really rare, especially at the time, to see a bunch of Indian characters on on TV actually played by Indian actors. Right. And I remember watching it, and I was blown away because they nailed the culture without totally. being like it was it was like the perfect like there were characters that were goofy and serious and it was like i swear to god every single one of those characters on the show i feel like they looked at some of my cousins they're like you're gonna be this person you're like it hit so close to home and then i remember it got canceled because there was so much outrage yeah that people were saying that it was insensitive to make a comedy based on people losing their jobs mm-hmm and I remember that, and like now, especially in hindsight, I think it's you know I'm not I mean I feel for anyone that's that's lost their their job. Um, I just don't see the connection between uh, they they absolutely were not making fun of anything. They were showing you know a reality that hey, these right. jobs are going over here, and this is what the culture is like. And it was and I was so upset when it got canceled because it was one of the few shows that I could watch and be like, this is not only funny, but it's like this is what being in India is like. These are some totally goofy motherfuckers with big hearts you know what i mean like it was so it was so like it hit so close to home yeah i actually had to show it was maybe a couple months ago i showed my coworker who I, who I share an office with a video on youtube that was done by an indian fellow and i don't know if he was a comedian or not but there were actually a couple that i could find that they were describing the head wobble Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the different meanings. Yeah. It was probably Russell Peters. Maybe. But I told him like the first time that I went over there because I'd been talking to these guys on conference calls like every day and over email and whatever. And the first time that I went over there and was in a conference room full of these employees and where I was just talking and everybody, you know, everybody has their unique head wobble. Sure. And, uh, yes, they will do it for different things. And, and I would have to like, ask them, I asked you a question and I don't know if you're telling me (laughs) yes or no, like, and, and all of them had their different speed and twist Mm -hmm. to it and whatever. Like I literally felt a little bit seasick because there was just so much movement in the room that was going on and it made me feel like I should be maybe wobbling it was really interesting that's i i am going to tell that story to every indian person that's that's amazing you're, you're absolutely right the head wobbles kind of like are aloha it means mm-hmm. like 30 different things totally um, yeah and, it, and there's yeah, each one's like a snowflake some are some are fast some are slow some yep. are violent some are suit yeah that's that's a it's i find the head wobble eternally fascinating it's i i get it it's a totally comfortable thing and it's not you know i don't think that I got nods or shakes of the head either. It really was like, this is my, this is my yes is a twist and a slower rate. And this is my no is like really fast and tight. And and it's very interesting. Increasing your, your ability to decode body language too, right? Internationally. (laughs) So you're, you're you're working out that skill set. Yeah. So, um, I, I hope that nobody listens to that section and thinks I'm being racist or anything hey, silly like that. You're talking to an Indian. I'm giving yeah. you carte blanche. You're, you're, you're good. Thank you very much. <laughs> and having been there and lived there, I feel like, you know, I'm not hey, saying it as a mean thing. No, I, no, this is, this is, this is all very, uh, in, in good, in good faith. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, and that is the end of the first half of my conversation with Amar, first half. This was originally, I thought it was going to totally work as a single episode, but as I was editing and going through everything, it just seemed like this is another one that I'm going to cut in half. And so here we are with another two-parter. You're welcome. So that means a lot of extra goodness and me not trying to cut out a bunch of stuff just to make it fit into a single episode. I think that just works better. And if you disagree... I am absolutely welcome to your opinion, and you can voice your disagreement with that to me in a variety of different ways. You can hit me up over email, my email address, that you can send me little notes of, hey, that was great, or hey, maybe you should try this, or maybe you should lose some weight, or whatever you might want to say that's constructive criticism or just compliments or whatever it may be, you can send those to me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. If you really want to go above and beyond and be that person, you can go onto iTunes and leave me a review, a star rating of your choice and a review because really like we all say this but it really does help more people find the show and that is part of what I would like to go back to is the emails also help because they help me make the show better whether it's you telling me something that I need to change up in your opinion or it's you giving me a guest idea those are the best so keep bringing those. If you have somebody in your life or that you know that I need to have on this show, send those ideas my way. Send me something and say, hey, would you like to have this guy on? He did this or he's doing that or his family is this or whatever it may be. I hope you guys understand not everybody on this show needs to be Matt Damon. They can just be the normal neighbor down the street that just has something different, a unique perspective, a unique life that they have lived that we can either be in awe of or that we can maybe learn some lessons from or that we can maybe take some insights and change the ways that we're looking at some things. All of these things are positive for all of us as listeners and for myself as well. So send those. I don't be afraid to send me those ideas. You can also hit me up on social media, direct message me, whatever it may be. Go and find me in all those places. Find Amar on social media. Tell him how much you liked this episode, etc. You can go to his YouTube page and find him there on YouTube. Search him up as Amar Guitar. And you can find him on Twitter as Brahmin Noodles. That's B-R-A-H-M-I-N underscore noodles. And make sure you follow him there and say hello. And you can tell him how great you thought this episode was and how much you're anticipating the second half. So the second half will take over right where this first half leaves off. It just made sense to kind of cut it there. The second half of this episode will be out next week. Okay, so you won't have to wait the normal distance that I put between episodes because this is all being edited all at once. So come back next Tuesday for the second half of this very good conversation with Amar. And the second half, we'll talk a lot more about music and what he's done and more of his life story as the first half. A lot of this was kind of spent eh, 
I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say we spent a lot of it on his dad, but it was more historical in nature than the second half. So don't miss out on that part either. Big thanks, as always, to Umphreys McGee for letting me have their music in all of my episodes. In the beginning, in the end, it's barely playing very lightly right now. You can hear it in there. Great solos going on. So check out umphreys.com to see more of them coming near you and all the great stuff that they are doing in 2020 as the year arrives. And I will tell you again, check out osirispod.com for the other podcasts on the network and check out jambase.com to find other live music that is playing near you. You should absolutely go see live music, a very important part of life, in my opinion. I'm just one man, but that's my opinion. So as I greeted you in Hindi, I will now say goodbye to you in Hindi. And Amar, you may judge me on my pronunciations of all of this, and I'm fine with that. But I will tell you, which is goodbye. I could have also said namaste, but that seemed too easy. I will also go even a little bit further and say, which is have a nice day. So I'm really going above and beyond because I want Amar to grade me on these pronunciations uh, or any of you else who speak Hindi. So let me know how I'm doing with my foreign languages. And to all of you, truly, have a nice day. Be kind to one another. And I will just say, as I'm going to add in the end of all of my episodes now, I will remind you, if you feel alone, if you think you need help in this world, if you or someone you know is struggling and you feel like they need help or you need help, I will remind you, first of all, you are absolutely not alone. You are not less for asking for help. It doesn't mean you're weak or anything like that. So the suicide prevention hotline is 800 273-8255 and I have a Google voicemail number and we can figure out a way to talk or you can just say I just need to vent don't respond to this I'm just leaving this here in a safe space and that number is 872-444-6784 if you deal with these thoughts on a regular or even semi-regular basis, put one of these numbers or both of these numbers in your phone. Make the contact name something that you aren't afraid somebody will stumble onto that's like secret code for you and use them when you need to. Please, all of you are important. All of you are significant. And all of you are loved And your place is here for a reason. Sorry to make it heavy. I'm just trying this out because of my recent suicide episode. And I'm going to figure out the best way to put this into every episode. But for now, it's right here. Again, I hope you all have a great rest of the week whenever you're listening to this. Make sure you come back next week for the second half of this great conversation with Amar. Amar.